Hello, and welcome to the Yom Eun Podcast, where we analyze Agados from Shas, the more homiletic allegories and textual expoundations of the Talmud. I wanted to give a postscript about Ashmedai, uh, because it's such a powerful Gemara, as well as speak about some parallels and additions from a famous Gemara of uh, Yishbi Benov. It is Sanhedrin... Sadi Hey Amud Aleph 95A. For those of you who want to check it out, famous Gemara, and I shall go through it in this episode. Uh, first of all, I wanted to mention some nuggets, thoughts about the Ashmanai Gemara. Something important that I wanted to really mention and emphasize is that this Ashmanai being the dark side of the human that we're supposed to get in order and harness. It really reminds me of what I see in psychotherapy. A person will mention a lot of problems that they have. Usually it has to do with one main issue, or it could be two or three, but some, the core issue of that person and their challenges in life. Uh, you know, the trauma they've had, the family habits that they've had, how their personality relates to the world and the conflicts that they've had, something core that they need to fix or to... A harness. Um, so you know, we're talking about Ashmedai being the, um, you know, the sum total of the unhealthy parts of the human, you know, the dark side, the Nefesh Bahamus, the animal soul or the evil inclination. We, we mentioned it's a hara, not necessarily causing evil, but causing physical, temporal things, broken things, limited things within this world. Um, it's really subsumed in what I'm explaining, and it, it cannot be underemphasized. So usually people will have all these issues. Those are all the little demons, male and female demons, relating to men and women and giving and taking, and then um, capturing a male, a female demon, getting those in order, and then leading up to Ashmedai. That is the whole meta metaphor, no pun intended, of the Ashmedai, the root of destruction that we must harness in order to build. Furthermore, with um, Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, the Gemara in Sanhedrin 21b, and it's also, I believe, in um, Megillah, uh, it says, Rabbi Yitzchak says, and probably you're at Yitzchak because Gevura is about self-control versus stopping outward things at the right time. Rabbi Yitzchak says, Gevura master, when King Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter, uh, the Malach, the angel, uh, Gabriel, Gabriel, and he's about punishments and fire and delineating and giving power to the wrong side. He, Gabriel descended from heaven and implanted a pole in the sea, gradually raised up as a sandbar, and an island in the great city of Rome was built on it. The whole boot, as the Italians say, the boot of Rome and Italy was built. This shows that the beginning of the Jewish people's downfall to Rome came with King Solomon's marriage to Pharaoh's daughter. Basically, it's the beginning of the end. The Davidic dynasty begins to descend, and whenever Jews are down, Western world, the descendants of Esau, are raised up. Um, and that would be the ultimate downfall when they're in officially in charge. As we said in Gittin, the dismantling of the Jewish people the first time through Rome. So... Um, we mentioned, it doesn't say that King Solomon married this aristocratic matching Jewish woman that would harness his uh, personal, intimate energies, his identity, 
and go forth properly. It was unfettered. The Midrash said it. Energy is loose. And when energy is loose, emotional energy, psychic energy, it will lead to destruction, unfortunately. It has to be harnessed. And I had in my notes here that the Maharsha writes, um, this whole thing happened before he married King... This is before King Solomon married her. This is after. So before King Solomon married her, uh, gold... Um, Kesav was not anything, and afterwards it was worth something. As it says, Shlomo, um, He had less Chachma after he married the daughter of Paro, and he had more meals and pleasures, so money, uh, silver wasn't worth nothing. It was worth something, albeit expensive. And it's even more than that. Uh, the Maharsha continues in the next Divra Maskil, the next section. Um, this is before the Avera of Avodazara. Right when they got married, she brought in lots of animals and singers and servants, etc., etc. Look over there. Eventually, uh, Gavriel comes, Gabriel comes, and he's the one that delineates self-control or punishment, giving power to the other side. Essentially, this gives a little more chrono chronology to what happened. I thought King Solomon was wealthy. He had a different personality than King David, David Amelech, and he indulged and checked out this world, and then he saw that Torah um, was the right way. Spirituality, commandments were the right way. It was really a sequence. It, put it, it all goes together. His decision not to marry his main queen as a Jewish aristocrat, marrying the daughter of Paro right away, that's when she brought in all the feasts and the pleasures and the servants, and of Odazara. So he tried to repudiate, King Solomon tried to repudiate idolatry, but then um, he did that for a while, it came back, but he still indulged in all the pleasures because of his wife, and this led to the challenges with Ashmedai, the inner demon, the pleasures, the er uh, challenges with arrogance, challenge with pleasure, challenge with jealousy, and jealousy means doesn't mean petty jealousy, to look at others and to compare yourself. So he needs the throne to be a certain way and power and might. The delving into the physical world is what I would say. And all the problems that comes with it. Ashmedai saying, one day you will be six feet under. And him realizing he has to have the Kohelis mentality or the Mishli mentality to have the wisdom and to have the proper view of the world being temporal. Death will come. The only thing that lasts, the only thing that lasts is commandments. Those are beautiful additions there. Okay, so now we're moving on a little bit to inner shadow, the inner Yitzhahara we have to conquer, and how we conquer the outer outer Yitzhahara, our problems with the outside world. Psychologists have theorized that a person needs to conquer that inner darkness before they can individuate this important process of growing up and leaving home, leaving the anxiety soup of your family, leaving the enmeshment, being stuck within your family, the bad habits, taking the good habits, leaving the bad habits, being yourself. And a person has to break your persona. People have personas, false identities. You can't be somebody else. You have to conquer the shadow within, drop false identities, be yourself, and individuate, become an independent person. I think all of those ideas are kosher within the Torah psychology. 
I don't agree with Carl Jung and everybody about all the descriptions of the shadow, individuation, the persona, but those descriptions I said just now, I believe, are appropriate with these agados and with philosophy of Chazal. And that dovetails with the following Gomorrah. Let us turn to the story of Sanhedrin, Zadi, Hayamadalaf, 95a. Davon King David, went hunting. So he had a military leader named Avishai, Ben Suriya, eldest of David's sister, children, his sister was Suriya, commander and most honored. These are in the Psukim. Uh, he mentions them, Shmuel Beis, and um, also later in Shmuel Beis, Samuel 2, Perak Hafalif, chapter 21, Puzzak, um, Tesvav, 15, Tez, Tezayin, 15 and 16. It says that the, the, the Plishtim, the evil Philistines, had war with Israel, and David went down, the servants went with him, he fought against the Philistines, and King David, David, waxed faint. He became faint. So, one question is, you know, these are the psukim here, these are the sentences. How is it that David Amalek being faint, and in Pasuk 16 um, and 17, Avisha bin Sruya uh, smiting Ishbi Benov leads to this whole story. I mean, I mean, he, he David Melch is faint. There's a giant fighting against them, and then David Melch's trusted general, who's part of his entourage, his military phalanx. How is it that it it's uh, leads to this whole story? You know, in the shot level, how does one equal the other? And in the midrash level, why does why do Chazal, you know, write this whole allegory? to be contained in those sentences. That's our question today. So 16, Ishbi Benov, who was the son of the giant, and the weight of his spear was 300 shekels of brass in weight, being girded with new armor, he thought to have slain David. So it, he planned to slay him, imagined. 17, Yud Zion. But Avishai, son of Truya, succored him, meaning he assisted him, smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, you will, not gourd, you will not go to war with us anymore, that thou quenched not the lamp of Israel. So we don't want to destroy the Davidic dynasty. David and Melech will not go to war. Um, and then the Gomorrah brings these psukim. It brings Ishbib Nov, a giant, uh, 300 shekels of brass, girded with armor. He wanted to slay David. Um, notice the parallel with Ashmanai Gomorrah. Ashmanai had 300 demons in his area. And we have this awful um, enemy. So the Gomorrah continues, What is the meaning of Ishbi Benov? Rabbi Huda says, in the name of Rav, why does he say this statement? Why is he the one? That's our theme in these, one of our threads in these classes. He was a man, Ish, who came to punish David Melech over matters of Nov? Remember Nov. Hakadosh Baruch Hu, God said to David Melech, "Until when will this sin be concealed in your hand? Through your hand, Nov, the city of Kohanim, were massacred. Was massacred. The priests were massacred. And through your actions, Doeg the Ad Edomite 
was banished from the world to come. He, he, he acted improperly and he was punished. Through your actions, through your actions, Shaul and his three sons were killed. Is it your desire that your descendants will cease to exist? Or you be handed in the hands of the enemy? David Melach said, Rabbanu Shalalam, master of the universe, it is preferable that I be handed into the hands of my enemy and not have my descendants cease. A very selfless act. So any questions here? Why 300? Why the Plishtim in the Agada? How do they make their way in here? What do they what do they symbolize? What's their message? Why do they attack us? On a shot level and on a philosophical level. Continue. So one day David and Malach went hunting with the falcon. Question. So is this a is this a Jewish activity? Is this normal for king, Jewish kings to hunt? Is it a Jewish kosher activity? Why would he be doing this? So Satan came and appeared to him. Look at that. Satan himself. So we don't believe in this Satan, Lahavdil, as other nations do. But there is some sort of force that is God with the hand puppet or God gives a existence to. Satan, adversary, appeared to him as a deer. And David Melech shot an arrow at the deer. The arrow did not reach it, the deer. So Satan led, drew out in Hebrew, drew out David Melech until he reached the land of the Plishtim. And when Ishbi Benov, who was there, saw David Melech, he said, This is that person who killed Goliath, my brother. David killed Goliath. So for, don't, don't forget, Ishbi Benov is a giant in the Philistines area. He is not a man literally in the Nov city, but that's his name. Why is that? We had a little drasha before. Let's keep darshaning it. So he grabbed David Melech. That's me saying that. He bound him up, doubled him over, and put him on the ground. Cast him under the beam of the olive press, which is very heavy, as you know from the Gemara. Tried to crush David Melech. There was a miracle, and the earth opened up beneath him, so David Melech did not die. So even though he's in the hands of the enemy, he still has a shkachapratis, blessing of divine providence. And this is the Pesach in Tehillim that David Melech wrote, You have enlarged my steps beneath me. My feet did not slip. So Kodesh Baruch Hu enlarged the physical ground. That day, at dusk, was Erev Shabbos, and Abisha ben Surya was shampooing his hair. Okay, let's see if there's any questions we have on here. So we know that so the Satan, Reish Lakish says, Satan, uh, he is the evil inclination. He is the angel of death. So how is it in Argamora? Why is this um, David Melech's evil inclination drawing him with the deer? Is it the angel of death trying to kill him? Is it the Satan? Is it a like, sort of like judge, jury, and executioner, witness, pr provocateur, witness, and jury and executioner? All, all in one trying to harm David Melech? What, what does it mean that the evil inclination or the angel of death is, has to do with this hunting expedition? Okay. And is, it, are you, are we allowed, is David Melch allowed to go hunting? 
why would he not have self-control to stop? He sees a sign that says, you know, two kilometers, the Philistines. Oh, time to head back if I don't have my army. Why would he go there all alone? Hmm? Okay. Shot questions. Not Midrash questions. Okay. We'll get Midrash answers. So his trusted general, Avisha ben Surya, parallel, again, to ben Yahu ben Yehoyada. He had a trusted general in the Ashwadai Gomorrah. He was shampooing his hair for an air of Shabbos. And he saw four blood stains. So what? what is the... Oh, that's a Midrash type of question. What is the metaphor of shampooing hair? It's an air of Shabbos, stressful time. Four blood stains. And uh, some people say a dove came and fluttered its wings before him. Abishai said, The congregation of Israel is likened to a dove. As it says, You shall shine as the wings of a dove covered with silver. Tehillim. And her pinions with yellow gold. He concluded that David Amalek is in trouble. He came to David Amalek's house and he saw that David Amalek was not there. We know that you cannot ride on the king's horse, not sit on the throne, or use a scepter. In a time of danger, what's a halacha? They said to him, You can use his things in a time of danger. So he used the king's mule. So why did he use the king's mule? Is it just because. Um, he wouldn't use his most honorable animal, a horse. He would just use his mule instead. Or is there some sort of metaphor? We know that the Ram, the Ramchal writes about chamor. You know, somebody's a chamor. It's more of a physicality. So what's this whole pray? This pray to thing. Okay. He mounted the king's mule and arose and went to the land of the Philistines. The land contracted for him, and that's the next Gomorrah, Kavitza Sederach. The land contracted to him. It was like a warp drive when the they theorized that uh, spaceships can go much farther if they contract the space beneath them. Warp drive. Um, so Abishai saw Orpah as he was walking with Ishbi Beno's mother. Orpah, as we know, at the beginning of the Rus story, she left and did not convert, and she went and had relations with Plishtim and gave birth to Goliath. So she was sitting there, spinning thread with a spindle. She saw him, removed her spindle, threw it at him, and tried to kill him. She failed to do so. She said, oh, bring me my spindle. Oh, that sounds good. Bring me that switch so I can spank your butt. Yeah, the old time, old timers, huh? Getting in trouble with CPS. He threw the spindle and struck her on the top of her brain and killed her. So why why do we need to hear that she's the one who attacked him? There was no there were no guards to uh, stop him. If there were guards, it's much more of a foe. And why does he have to kill her? Can't he just knock her out? What's the what's what's the situation there with the metaphor? Ishbi Benov saw Avishai. He said, "Now they are two, David and Avishai, and they will kill me." He threw up David in the air and stuck his spear into the ground. He said, Let David Amalek fall upon it and die. Avishai said the name of God and suspended David Amalek between heaven and earth so he would not fall. The Gemara asks, Why didn't David Amalek say that Pasuk, a prisoner, does not release himself from a prison, requires someone else to get him out of prison? So the question is I mean, it's not the same as a prison. David Amalek can't speak out loud to get himself out of this magical spell, you know, this conundrum. 
Why is it that a person is bound to someone else's um, curses? And why is it that each people know said, because David and Abishai are here, they will both kill me? Isn't he a giant? Can he fight them off? Isn't David, David and Melch could be inferred from Pesukim that he's small? Didn't they both have their entourages? So here's where we're going to pause, and we're going to try to give shot, work through it, God willing, and then finish the Gemara. Okay. So I believe shots like this. A prisoner does not release himself from prison. People have emotional problems, psychological problems, and they themselves cannot totally work on it. We need the help of rabbi, therapist, family, friends. Furthermore, we need to change how we relate to the outside world. As great as our family is, our community, likely they give us certain habits or attitudes that we need to dispel as part of our individuation process. As part of our process of growing up, we ourselves need to get help and change. Ashmadai is the inner Yitzhahara, so to speak. Um, Ishbi Benov is the outer Yitzhahara, so to speak, the outer negative relation that we have to the world and to people. When Ishbi Benov sees David and Avishai, there's two of them, and now they can kill me. That means that now that I have challenges, now that I have a friend to support me, I am stronger. There was the Baal HaSulam, Reb Yehuda Leib Ashlag. He had his disciples pair up, not just in the Beis Medrash, in the study hall. In their real lives, he would have a buddy system whereby they would have a support and accountability for each other. How you doing? What's going on? Checking on each other, support each other. There's a saying in the army, one is none, two is one. You can't break that bond if there's two people. Avishai, my father lifts me up. Ishbi Benov. Ishbi Benov. There is a man in me. It is a Satan. It is a negative influence. Benov. Benib. Sosfayim. Speaking. The Navi. Speaking. What makes us humans is we have a, we're have a speaking spirit. Right? The Targum says in Boratius. Man is created. Speaking spirit. Relate to the world. Speaking improperly. Connecting improperly to the world. What does it mean when he kills Orpa? Orpa was extremely inappropriate woman. When people think they're when people are in a cult and they leave a cult, they spend their whole life fighting against it. Orpa thought she was in a cult, but it was just good Judaism. So she spent her life to be against it. Orpa, she showed her back to people. She's all, she she couldn't be bothered. She was disdain for humanity. Killing Orpa, a person has to Stop what we call the multi-generational transmission process. Stop the bad habits from the previous generation. I mentioned Murray Bowen before. And, of course, we've got to put it through our Jewish filter, but he, he, he was the first real family therapist, godfather of family therapy, starting in the 80s, starting, starting in the 50s. Kept researching and writing until the 80s. He interviewed thousands of families. He noticed that in a very deep way, families pass on habits and attitudes and emotions from one generation to the next. It's more obvious to us nowadays, but it's still deeper than we think. Sometimes people are like, oh yeah, depression runs in that family. But also, it's not just genetics. or We know about epigenetics now. 
certain habits in the family, certain ways of behavior, pass along that set of symptoms, depression. So we know more about passing along problems, like mother, like daughter, like father, like son, but it's extremely deep and elaborate, and we're in, we're in denial about our problems. A prisoner cannot get themselves out of prison. We are naturally in denial, as Freud taught, and the Torah accepts this a certain amount. We don't want to look at our character defects. We have to study Musa, work with ourselves, our rabbis, our mentors, our coaches, to uncover those things as we can accept, as much as we can accept at once. And that will help us change ourselves. So each be benov. The problem, the, the issue is the man inside of me. The little, the Yitzhahara. We must stop the multi-generational multi transmission, multi-generational transmission process. Easy to say. Stop the Orpa connection to the previous generation. And Avishai, take, my father can lift me up. Take those assertive components, push through, create distress tolerance. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. There's nothing to be anxious about but anxiety itself. Push through those feelings and feel better. Work on the background so we can push, go through therapeutically and actually push through. And it doesn't have, you know, moms get a bad rap in families for causing problems. An absent dad is just as damaging as a present mother. We're just talking about no cinema cabo. Pushing through to have influence is a commonly masculine trait. Doesn't mean moms are all the problem, okay? But here, highlighting that very, moms are usually around kids more and they can cause some very deep habits. You can have 95% great feelings from the mom. Five things can pass down a bad trait, 5% bad trait that's very sticky with the kid. It could be an issue with the father. Avi shy, we have to lift up those fatherly attributes. Fathers could be around less of the time, but that energy he gives to the family could be very negative. has to give positive energy. Okay. Um, and so when it says that they were suspended in the air, this is the outward Yitzhahara, which is Ishbi Benov, saying, oh no, this human that I'm trying to mess up, he's getting better. i got to exert more effort on him, get him to drink more, get him to be eating more, more anxious. Uh, but when you have God's name... When you do a stopgap measure, you can pause the damage. People go into Alcoholics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, people studying religion, throwing themselves into religion. This can be a great stopgap temporary measure to stop things. And then a person has to go and heal the inner Ashmedai and the outer Ishbi Benov. Okay, let's go back into the previous steps of the Gomorrah. All right. So, David Melech going hunting. There's a great piece by the Margolius Hayam, who has a special commentary on Sanhedrin. He writes about how many commentators say this is a trait of Nimrod and Esav to go hunting. It's not a Jewish thing. He brings a tshuva of Noda Yehuda, that it is mutter, it's permissible to go hunting, it's not sarbalechayim, unnecessary suffering of animals, if you put the animal out of its misery or let the animal heal. It's not baltashkis if you sell it to a non-Jew or you let the or the animals healed. So it's not a trefa. 
then you can um, eat it, no problem there. But getting into the topic of, you know, what point are you Bittelzman wasting time? At what point are you going to, there, there could be two problems. At what point are you going to a non-Jewish event to see, see suffering and violence? At what point are you going to a non-Jewish activity, non-religious activity, and it's just wasting time? Now, I want to pause here because people get very strict, a lot of self-criticism. It is permissible for a Jew to go do certain activities to relax and take that time and not look at cheerleaders and not do this and that and then won't be tempted. Speak to your rabbi, speak to the proper people to get advice. Not every outing and stadium and behavior and even hunting is a problem. In general, we need hunting in the United States because the animals will overrun things. So it's highly political, emotional, but everyone chill out. But the point is here that Achronim are pointing out that Dabon Amalek was likely doing an activity that was not something he shouldn't have been doing, whether it's the time or the style of the... It was more about the style of the action. So this is the nature of Yitzhahara. Dabon Amalek getting too much like Esav and Nimrod when it comes to being a mighty warrior, Satan comes and appears. So Satan is Yitzhahara, is Malchamavis. Dovin reaching, oh, I want to I want to go after just a little bit of Gashmias, a little bit of conquering. Can't reach it. A little bit of conquering, can't reach it. The nature of the Yitzhahar is you always want more. Check out the Ramban or Laharbos Harav Alatzameya. It's very graphic there, and Dovin didn't do those things, but it it's the nature of the Yitzhahar where if you have enough and then you stop, it's satisfied. If you have more and more and more, whether it's Taiva or Gaiva or conquering, or Kina, you just want more. This is the nature of the Yitzhahara as we relate to the world. Want more, want more, want more. Go to the land of the Plishtim. The Plishtim are the Mida of Gevura in the wrong way, opposite of Yitzchak. They're not healthy boundaries. They're Mufulash, Plishtim. They're open. We're going to be wide open. Who has boundaries? And then they have cut off boundaries, violence, when they want to get ahead. Dagan, the money god. Check out my Shoftim series when they're talking about the Plishtim and Dagan. They're all about that money or the grain. Give me the scarol. Give me the grain. Give me the, the, the cabbage, the wheat. Give me that money. So the plishtim, unhealthy attack and self-control. And as I said in the Shoftim series, we're attacked by nations when we're supposed to learn the attribute of that um, nation. So here, David Amalek needs a plishtim lesson. He needs a lesson in the self-control of the outward Yitzhahara. Ishbi Benov is upset that he conquered Goliath. Just because you conquer one emotional problem doesn't mean you won't be challenged by more. If anything, you'll keep going. Famous story, Hasidus Sherebi had a dream, or his Talmud had a dream that he climbed a cliff. And there's another cliff, the same cliff, over and over. Dos haste, this is the nature of life. You can have the same challenge over and over and over. Life is the same challenge over and over and over. David Amalek has to keep being the smaller guy slaying the big bugaboos, the big monsters. He still, has, he still has a Shkaka Pratis, even if he's making a mistake. And then, Avisha Ben Sura shampooing his hair. Okay, bros helping bros. Sorry to be colloquial, but... Okay, in the storyline, it's a miracle he finds out about his brother. But think about it. You go to your friend's dorm room. You go to his house. You call him. He doesn't see the same. The best thing you could do is to say, Hey, what's up, bro? Are you okay? What's up? And men are not just crass individuals who don't support each other. 
they, they can be non-emotional givers. <laughs> the best thing to do is actively support each other. So Erev Shabbos is a very busy time. Even when we're busy and stressed out, we have to check in with our brothers and sisters. Four bloodstains. So I think the four bloodstains are the crimes he committed. Either um, Shaul and his sons, Doeg and the city of Nov, or Shaul and his sons. And then the dove is floating there. I think there was another Magalasiyam. I'll look it up later for another postscript. I did not bring it to work today. He knew his brother was in trouble. He see, oh, he knew that it's like us seeing our friend look depressed, us seeing our friend stressed out. What's going on? How can we help each other? And riding on a, a mule, a Prada, okay, we have to conquer that which will not have fruit. Arod was the man who invented the mule. He was a mamzer, so he made mamzerus in the world. He had a horrible status, and people didn't want his lineage. He made a nasty status of an animal, breeding a horse and a donkey. So riding on a mule means we need to conquer not just the chamor, physicality of this world, but we need to be a master and realize what's not going to bear fruit. What endeavors are just an endeavor of the evil inclination that will not bear fruit? Extramarital relationships. That got serious fast. Um, involving in uh, activities of just a pure desire. Uh, getting involved in talking, flirting, eating, hiding, lying. What's not going to have a fruitful outcome? Got some water there. Sorry for the jump cut. Okay, we talked about Orpa. Removing the past generation's poor behavior. We cannot get ourselves out of prison. Okay. Abishai said to David Amalekh, What do you seek here? Why did you fall into his hands? David Amalekh said, This is what Akash Baruch Hu said to me, that I could be erased, my descendants could be erased, or I could fall into the hands of the enemy. He said to him, Reverse your prayer that your descendants will cease to exist rather than be handed to the enemy. Because it says, Let your son's son be a poor peddler and sell wax, and you will not suffer. Don't limit your own expenses worrying about leaving an inheritance to your descendants. Davon Melech said, If so, help me. Together, two people. That is the meaning of that which is written, and Abishai ben Surya came to his aid. Rabbi Huda says that, Rabbi Huda in the name of Rav says, This means that he came to his aid in prayer. Abishai recited the name of Akash Baruch Hu, another sacred name of God, and caused David Amalek to land safely. And why is it Rabbi Huda in the name of Rav that said this? Rehuda, Malchus. Meaning to say that David Amalek is the king, so he is associated with Malchus in the regular sense, and he is associated with the Kabbalistic Mida of Malchus. Surprise! It's Ian Bailey later in the day. I went home to get my notes to make sure I had all the right information, and I'm glad I did. Um, because Rav, this is Amr Marav, is saying this Gomorrah. Rav's family was descendant from that of Shimi, brother of David Amalek. Suba 62b, boom. Double Malchus. Rabbi Huda, Amarav. Furthermore, in the Gomorrah, Ishbi Benov throws up David Amalek into the air, and 
um, he's going to land on a spear. And uh, Margolius Hayam brings several sources that are dealing with the fact that this is sort of like a indirect murder. Um, oh, I, not killing someone directly. You throw up an object. If you put down, you know, Bubakama, Momonos. If you put down a pillow, you move, move the pillow, or you didn't, you're not really responsible for the monetary damage, or you're responsible for murder, you're throwing something up, it's the strength of them going down, putting a um, spear or whatever. So for the shot, for the story part of the Gomorrah, the idea is that, uh, oh, it might not be murder, but for the Yitzhahara of the world part of the Gomorrah, it said, our evil inclination very often will convince, convince us that something isn't so bad for us. There might be a little bit of damage or death involved, but it really involved much more. And so too with listening to outside influences from the world, being convinced of things, it seems to be it has a taste of, well, a little taste of death, but it's really terrible for us. Similar to the Kisoyphos Raymlo in the Ashmanite Gemara. Oh, why are demons greater than humans? Let me just have a little taste of demons, you know? Like I said, for nowadays, let me just have a little bit of psychedelics, a little bit of drugs, and that'll help me out. There's going to be a very, either no proof or a little bit of proof of certain psychedelics happening a certain amount of time, but it's certainly not all of this usage that they're doing nowadays. I will also throw in here the 300, similar to the Ashmanaip shot. If it is a regular number, and like a Mahara style, three means a table. Something has a toehold on something, a steadiness, a status quo, a chazaka. So, and a hundred is a major plethora of a set. So the external Yitzhahara has gotten a hold of a person. Once a person does Nebera and repeats it, then it, they become used to it. And that's actually the next Gemara in Kedushin, the second Agatha in Kedushin, coincidentally, that we're about to do. And if it's if it's uh, Spheros, three is Tiferes. Unhealthy Tiferes is unhealthy imagination, right brain thinking. And part of a Nevera is your eyes see it, you imagine it, you want to go after it. It has an obsession to it. So that could be the 300. They're, they're taking the regular sentence, the Pusik, from H.P. Benov, bringing it into the Agata, importing it, and darshaning it. It's philosophical. And the metal is not a beautiful gold metal. It's brass. It's more of a physical base metal. Getting involved in the base essence of a human, the external Yitzhahara becomes a behemoth to deal with. It's a beast. The beast within the beast without. So that is um, what I remember to get from my notes back to what I recorded earlier today. Ish Bibano pursued them and wanted to kill them. When they came to the place called Kubi, they said, Stand in battle against him. Kumbe. When they reached the place called Beitre, they said with two cubs they can kill a lion. Two people together, being assertive, standing up, distress tolerance. Push yourself, go against the evil inclination. They said to Ishbi Benov, go find Orpah, your mother, in the grave. When they mentioned his mother's name, he diminished in strength, and they killed him. Once they mentioned how you, he, they do not have that bad habits from the previous generations, this type of outward Itzahara is weakened. 
It is after this that it is written in David. David's men took an oath saying, You shall not go out with us anymore. You will not douse the lamp of Israel. Okay. So what does it mean the descendants will not exist anymore? Okay. I don't think exactly it was either they're all dying or David and Melech is captured. It has to do with our first question. Why is it that David and Melech being tired equals this whole story? I think the idea is as follows. To a king, the image is a lot. He needs to be shown as mighty. He's on the front lines, a Jewish king. He can't have weakness. Maybe like a mafia boss that you've seen, but uh, Lahavdil, Al-Fiavdelos, but a real Melech Israel, the greatest leader of all time, has to always be strong. He can't faint in public. He can't be weak. So this whole idea of him being weak, HaKadosh Baruch Hu made Hashachapratis, divine providence, that he would be weakened. He would need somebody else to come along. It's a message that we need other people, but it's a message that Davina Melech did not need direct terrible punishment, like with Bathsheba, his other Averos, direct serious teshuva, but he indirectly impacted all these people, directly, indirectly, indirectly, directly. He needed to do a kapara. He needed some sort of atonement. As a famous person, he can't just go to a city and be like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm David later, but I'm not David now. He needs to know that that the dust behind him might bring Shaul to kill those people. And that's what the Meforshim um, um, say that, or Megolas brings that David Melch should have told the Kohen that he met there that Shaul is after him. Then that Kohen could have said, David was here, but I'm, I rejected him. I'm not going to be with him. Then Shaul would not have killed them. Okay, it is a message for all of us. We have to be careful about our truth, truthfulness and our direct actions. But a Melech is, as I said in the Seven Ways book, Seven Ways podcast about Malchus, Shoftim series, the king has nothing of his own. He's just sort of a thesis statement. His whole identity is a nation. And even before David Melech was king, he was anointed. He has to know his impact as the ultimate holy political official could lead to other people being harmed. Even though he's trying to run away. Bailey, he's trying to run away. No, even him running away could lead to danger. Therefore, he had to have this little punishment due to Shuva. In that moment of fainting, he has to be shown, he's shown as weak. His descendants are weakened because of it. There is a, not that they perish or they are weak, but they are shown to be human. They're shown to be a Jewish king that has those sort of weaknesses. And that is... A good thing in terms of repentance to Shuba. Okay. That, thank you for listening to the Yom Yun podcast for postscript one. But Ashmedai, along with Ishbi Benov, the inward and the outward, Yitzhahara, that we deal with. Feel free to send, please send comments and questions to rabbibailey at gmail.com.